Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End. My name's John. With me this evening on Sunday is Mike. Well, all right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, yeah, actually, that's the mood of the uh, of the podcast, uh, is uh, uh, thinking back and, and reflecting. Uh, because we've got the news today uh, that Marco Silva uh, has parted ways, uh, parted company, I believe the phrase was, uh, with Watford Football Club. Um, we have talked about it for the last couple of weeks, but it's happened now, uh, and I suppose we need to reflect on it and, and, and look back. Uh, we're going to do that most of the, for most of the podcast, uh, but also look forward, uh, and we're going to speak to Sky Sports' David Garrido, uh, who is their main host for La Liga. So he knows his his stuff about uh, Spanish football uh, and hopefully be able to tell us a little bit more about the new man who's going to be taking over from Marco uh, in the coming week. Mike, though, was it the right decision? Look, I think there are definitely some mitigating circumstances uh, that Marco Silva will, will undoubtedly point to in his, uh, his post-Watford era interviews. I think he was incredibly unlucky with injuries. Some of our key protagonists have been unavailable to him for a, for a, a lengthy period of time. Um, I think suspensions played their part. We lost Miguel Britos, we lost uh, Troy Deeney, so both influential players in different ways, if you like. Um, I think also in the last re- in the recent weeks, we've seen that some of the transfers that have come in haven't really been up to scratch. I'm looking at sort of uh, Wagge and, and Ziegler, I think, have been exposed. You could argue that they're guys, squad players, who you wouldn't expect to be playing as frequently as, as they are, but down to injuries, so so they're in. Uh, so I think they haven't, they've proved not to be up to scratch. You have to be honest, which whether you're grey, pro-grey or anti-grey, you have to say that that transfer hasn't necessarily worked out as well as everyone would have hoped. So injuries, suspensions, transfers have, have worked against him. But ultimately, he's been the architect of his own own downfall. It doesn't really take a genius to, to work out that the nosedive started after his dalliance, if you like, like with Everton. Uh, and we'll go through that and, and, and the, the decision process, let's say, uh, after a chat with Colin. Uh, our, our co-host Colin uh, was at yesterday's game at Leicester. Uh, and as we do every week, we have to talk about the game of the week. Uh, and uh, I caught up with Colin on the phone earlier on to discuss Watford 2-0 defeat away at Leicester City. So Colin, the, the starting lineup. I was fearful of what would be on that pitch. What kind of Watford team would Marco be able to put out, let alone what team would he be would he pick? And when I looked at it, I wasn't actually absolutely 100% worried. Were you? No, not really. I mean, I think having a new goalkeeper is always very difficult because we've only seen him for 20, 40, whatever it was, disastrous minutes <laughs> at Everton. And so there was a lot of talk uh, in the concourse and in the in the pub before the game about, oh, here we go, 5-0, blah, blah, blah. Is he as bad as Everton? <laughs> no, not at all. Everyone was very nervous, obviously, because we haven't seen him except uh, for that performance. Uh, when he had to come on. And I think goalkeepers coming on as a substitute is really hard to have your head in the, in the right space. I think uh, according to uh, someone I spoke to at the game, he knew yesterday, he knew on the, sorry, the day before yesterday, he knew on Friday that he would be playing, that Gomez had picked up an injury. So he had 24 hours to get his head on. And I have to say, he looked very assured. Um, he made a really good one-on-one save against Vardy after about six or seven minutes, I think it was. And he came out quick and he spread himself and uh, Vardy's shot went off his knee or his body. And he seemed to grow in confidence. He he was good under the high ball. He caught well. He can kick it miles, a stationary ball and a moving ball. He can kick it way over the halfway line. 
but he just looked in, in command. There wasn't a lot of, didn't seem to be much communication with the back four because obviously he's really concentrating on his own performance. But I'm sure that will come if he gets more games. But yeah, he looked, he looked, he looked assured. He looked like an international goalkeeper. He didn't look like he was floundering or lacking in confidence or anything like that. He played well, and, he, and obviously the penalty is not his fault. And uh, in the end, you know, Mares's goal was 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 a good goal, and you know, there's not much he could have done about that either. He seems to have recovered, and he played he played well yesterday. And he, the, they were singing his name, was trying to work out how to sing his name. But it's not easy <laughs> with the with, so to, to come up with a song on the, on the spot like that. But there was there was definitely some uh, some love for him after his uh, his early saves. I was slightly surprised that um, he didn't put his faith in Capu actually in midfield instead of Pereira, who I would say once again was disappointing in his performance and was eventually substituted. But the back four was the same, Ziegler and Wage and uh, Cabaselli and Yamma. And then the midfield was Watson and Decore. And then you had Richarlison, Pereira, Carrillo and Dini up front. Now, that's not a bad side, is it? I mean, we have seen those players over the last five, six months and they're they're all good players. And what was interesting about the way the game began was that they came out and played more like they did in the second half against Southampton than they did in the than they played in the first half, and that was good. They attacked the ball, they pressed Leicester, they looked to get the ball forward uh, quicker, you know, and get it up to Dini. Dini was excellent in the first half, I thought. Unfortunately, the pace of Leicester's break and the pace of Vardy, when you see him live, it mm. is unbelievable how fast he is. You think you've got ten yards on him, and suddenly he's in front of you and he's got the ball. He's so fast, and uh, in the end, it was that pace that that caused the error. You know, Cabaselli and Wage are young and they're inexperienced. They're good players. They're technically good, but they are inexperienced. And it slightly showed and he dived in when he really, really didn't need to. He wasn't going to be able to get a shot off. He was going to have to sort of do some sort of Cruyff-style turn to get back inside to hit that on target. And he dived in and took him out. It was clearly a penalty. It looked from where I was standing like he got the ball, but when I saw it, on the highlights, he, he was nowhere near the ball. <laughs> nowhere near the ball. No, so okay, lucky, yeah, yeah. Lucky and that was a bit unlucky, and in a way, it was slightly against the run of play. And you always, mm. uh, and Leicester, that's how Leicester do it. They press you, they get it, they transition really quickly, and suddenly from nowhere, you're in masses of trouble. And I think he panicked and dived in when he didn't need to. So, with the Watford team doing well for not being a a choice team go behind do you feel we had a second half similar to Southampton a a let's keep going uh, feel yeah yeah I don't think there's any doubt as as someone said to me after the game he definitely hasn't lost the dressing room because there they are they're either playing for each other which you know happened under Mazzari in in some games where the team just came out and went look forget about all that let's just play football for each other and win this game and we did it against West Brom at home which I think pretty much got us to 40 points last season had a brilliant performance against them but other games obviously you know less unified and so on but yesterday you could feel that that they were they weren't there was no heads going down you know Andre Gray had a had a guilt edge chance to equalize and unfortunately he just took half a second a second too long, he wanted to make sure. And that's when strikers don't do well. They try and make sure that they score instead of just hit it instinctively. Had that gone in, whole different ball game. But unfortunately, if you only give a striker one decent chance in a game, you can't expect him to be 100% eff- you know, effective. It was really his only good chance. And, and unfortunately, he didn't, he didn't take it. Again, the Dini Gray thing looked very threatening. The Leicester defence... Uh, didn't look comfortable when when Gray came on, but then we were playing well, and then it seemed that Marco just thought, oh well, we've just we've got another striker on the bench, we'll chuck him on as well, and that didn't that didn't really seem 
very effective. Akaka looked slightly lost. He's just like, I don't really know what my job is here. And you could, you could tell that. And that seemed to be one substitution too far, really, it seemed to me, because we, we became less effective after that happened. And we also looked more vulnerable and eventually they got the, the breakaway goal. Disappointing results. Uh, and it was disappointing that we conceded goals in key moments. It was disappointing that Andre Gray didn't score his, his big chance. But in the end, the performance was, was much, much better over the 90 minutes than the performance against Southampton. So that was an improvement. But the thing we don't really have is a, is a really cutting edge, you know, up front. And, and that, we, that cost us. Richarlison seems to be a bit under the clouds. I know that Marco said yesterday or the day before that the approach from Chelsea had really affected him and, and damaged was the word he used, damaged the player. He's not as effective as he was in the early part of the season. But as Kieran said in a previous podcast, they know what he's going to do now and they put three or four men on him as soon as he, as soon as he gets the ball. So he, he's got to figure out how he can be more effective in games. And yesterday he wasn't really very effective and actually it would have been better to substitute him probably than, than Pereira, although it would have affected the balance of the team. But certainly I think going forward, and I know a lot of people are screaming for it, uh, the Deeney Gray thing. Well, you just want to see more just to know. You just want yeah. to know, and you know, even if you're a, 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 football, a professional footballer at the highest level, you can't stand and go, "No, it won't work." You can't say, "Yes, it will work," but you. So it's one of those things you just want to see a little bit more of um, to, to figure out if it's going to work or not. I agree with you. I think we should definitely see more of Deeney and Gray together. I mean, if you go back to our first Premier League season, Icarlo and Deeney. Dini was suddenly being pulled back and playing behind Igala and everyone was scratching their head a bit about that. It worked brilliantly. And the reason that we scored so many goals and the reason that we stayed up and we had a brilliant first half of the season was because it's quite rare in the Premier League to have two strikers and it's quite difficult to defend against. Uh, and they both played really well in the second half of the season. The team slightly worked us out and they weren't as effective. But uh, that approach worked for us in our first season and that's been abandoned. I suppose the reason is that Marco Silva and possibly the Pozzos, feel that we should be playing a more sophisticated style of football, a more modern 21st century Premier League style of football, kind of Spanish slash Portuguese style of football, where the ball is moved around and you gain threat through possession and you advance up the pitch through possession. And the idea of two, (laughs) as my daughter says, two big fat strikers, and you just lump the ball over to them and then they get on with it, that feels unsophisticated. It feels like a championship style of football. And I think that's one of the reasons psychologically that they don't like it and they won't do it because it feels like going backwards in terms of tactics, in terms of style. And they want us to play a possession-based style of football where we move the ball up the pitch and we create threat through players coming and joining the striker. But again, through having having possession, four or five players and ending up in the box of man wide with the ball, getting the ball into the box and scoring goals like that which we did do at the beginning of the season, or a cut back to someone at the edge of the box like Decore to score a goal. The idea of having two men up front and, and playing that 4-4-2 or 3-5-2, it does, it, I mean, it, it feels like that to me too. It does seem less sophisticated, but in the state we're in at the moment, we need to win some football matches and I think that may be the way we do it. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. So that was Marco's last game, uh, and as we know, uh, he parted company with the club uh, this morning on Sunday. But you know, who's going to come next? What if Michael Parkinson became manager? What would he do? Mike's surname is Parkin. He's a son called Arlo, uh, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. 
It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Now, we've heard today, of course, that Marco Silva has left his post as uh, as Watford head coach. We joked earlier about you taking over as the new head coach at Watford. If you did get the job, what would be the first thing that you'd focus on? I would put Troy Deeney as a midfielder and Cleverly Hughes and um, Gray up front. Blimey, absolutely. That's a very interesting approach. And what about at corners and set pieces? I would make Hughes do all the corners. When there's corners, I would make everybody get into the box because it might be the other team's corners. When um, there's a time to strike, the only strikers will be up front and no, no midfielders and defenders up front. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Arlo, thank you very much for joining us. Bye-bye. Mike, quiz question. How many managers have Watford had since we started this podcast? Very good. <laughs> Very good. It's the same old thing, isn't it? We've, we've had to... Um... You don't know the answer, do you? Oh, I thought you meant since we started this particular podcast. <laughs> I thought it was a, it was a very a clever play on the uh, on the on the stick we've been getting in the media. How many? Yeah, what for change their managers quite quickly in the first twenty minutes, fifteen minutes of this podcast? Uh, what for change their managers? No, since we started this podcast in um, two thousand and eight, eight years ago. Um, I'm gonna go with nine. Nine. Okay. Malky, Sean, Zola, Beppe, Oscar, Billy. Slav, Kike, Walter, Marco, and now we're going to be moving on to our 11th manager that we've had since we've been doing this podcast. Let's talk about the 11th Watford manager we've had under uh, the tenure of Fonda Regrant no, uh, uh, since, uh, since we're doing this podcast. <laughs> Clearly, as you earlier, it, it fell down when uh, Everton got involved. That's quite, in many ways, and the club have said it in their statement, that's horrendous that any other club can have that influence on their rivals. I mean, I want to start off by saying I'm really disappointed. I'm, I, you know, I will stick up for Watford in these situations because I think they've made the right decision in these circumstances. However, what I would say is listening to what Colin had to say after the Leicester game yesterday, he alluded to the start of the season and how impressive it was, how exciting it was, how the football was not just getting us results, but was also a real joy to watch. And yes, we were, we were conceding goals. And I think it's interesting before the um, Everton uh, mix-up, if you want to call it that, we were conceding probably about the same amount of goals per game. But we're not scoring, obviously not scoring as many. Um, so I'm ultimately, my, my overall feeling today is, is that of disappointment, that what looked like was going to be a really exciting period in Watford's history hasn't, hasn't come to pass. Um, the football was good, the players were playing for Marco Silva um, and we were, we were getting results, we were bloodying noses again. It felt like Watford, it felt like something we could hang our hats on and, and really enjoy. And then it stalled. It went cataclysmically wrong. You know, I quite appreciate as well the punchy statement from Watford. I think that's quite rare that that a club is so um, uh, strong. I think, and it's not just the usual tepid. We wish Marco Silva all his uh, all the luck in the world with his future endeavours and thank place on record his uh, thanks for what he's done. It's, they've said, well, "Well, this is what we think happened. We're not happy with it." They've made it pretty public, which I think is a parting shot to Marco Silva, um, because I think it's probably intended to make sure people are fully aware that this is the reason 
and to, to try and make sure that if, I don't know, we're watching Southampton Tottenham this afternoon, if Southampton lose this game and, and want a new manager, perhaps they want to think might want to think twice about employing a certain um, Portuguese manager slash head coach because he had his head turned after nine, ten games, whatever it was. So, yeah, it was... Because <sighs> the head turn is really interesting for me because I know he is... he Everybody comes to Watford and I will always know this, to, to make a step somewhere else. And he wants to do that, but only after nine games. And I know it's his second Premier League job, but he clearly had not been a whole lot successful uh, at Hull. He did something, but wasn't ultimately successful. Then he comes to Watford, knowing what he's buying into. And then after nine games, almost, or let's say yeah, half, uh, less than a, a, a dozen games, he is being thinking, I need to make this next step now. I need to go. Is that, in some ways, that's not his fault. That's the, 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 the world of football. There were some very mild alarm bells ringing quite early in the season, actually, because you say he knew what he was coming into, but I remember, that, and I remember sort of mentally bookmarking this, this moment, was at the end of the summer transfer window, he was quite vocal. It wasn't so strong in his, uh, in, in his comments that it would get picked up by probably anyone other than, than Watford tragics like us who, who hang on every word that, that, that's said about the club. But he was quite... He was overtly displeased mm. with, with the way that the summer transfer window went. Um, I think the one I always remember is Amrabat. He was talking about how, whether it was the right thing for him to go. It had nothing to do with me. And I just thought that's quite strange for a, for a manager who's so new in post to be a little bit off-colour that soon, so or to, dis- to distance himself from those weren't my decisions. Yeah, when he was distinctly sort of, it wasn't disrespectful and it wasn't aggressive and it wasn't. Um, it's hard to, do, but it was ob- he was obviously unhappy and he voiced it in quite a subtle way. I thought, and and I'm sure a lot of a lot of other Watford supporters picked up on it. So I just. I had concerns back then that, that perhaps all wasn't rosy behind the scenes between the relationship with Will Silva and the, and the board and, and, and the club and the way things were working. So they were quickly dispelled by, by the results on the pitch. And what I loved about those, those that initial burst, that sort of nine, ten games, was the way that the players were obviously bought into it. I think players had bought into the previous managers before you get that new manager bounce under Kike, under Walter Mazzari, we did well initially. But there was there was just a swashbuckling, barnstorming approach. You know, the Southampton games on this afternoon, we went away to Southampton and, and demolished them. We did the same to Bournemouth. When we didn't have it our own way, we stayed in games. We came back on the opening day against Liverpool. Uh, we had a late winner against Swansea away. We had a late winner against Arsenal. We earned a late point away at West Bromwich Albion. So we we were either sweeping sides, teams aside with, with, with lovely, exciting football or sticking in games and really, really going, going for it to the end of the end of the 90, whatever it is, minutes. And that just spoke, it just said everything's in place. The, 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 the wheels are in motion, the, the gears are nicely, the cogs are nicely oiled and everyone's working in tandem. So I, I forgot about those initial comments. I thought, right, we're, 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 we're up and running. And then, funnily enough, we had that Everton game. And we lost. We lost three. We lost three two, didn't we? And it was. I was hugely concerned about the way that that game unfolded. Well, you said on the podcast. I remember you saying, "I love the way you said it." You said, "We found a way to lose that game." Yeah, and we continued to. Yes, we had a good win against Newcastle. We had a good win against West Ham. Since that, two teams who are bang out of form, and so, but they had to be won. We've been finding ways to lose games ever since that. And I think yesterday at Leicester was a continuation of that. Teams haven't had to perform at any sort of level to beat us. That's been the disappointing 
and more latterly concerning thing because there's just no sign of it being turned around. There was a, there was an in-depth article in the Times which there's no reason to dispute anything in it that Marco Silva a wanted to go to uh, go to Everton. There's even been um, suggestions that he had agreed to go to Everton. Terms had been agreed, his contract had been agreed, and and all that sort of stuff. So that's how far. It's alleged that that had gone down. The Times article suggests that he would ask to take players with him. So you've got a manager who obviously doesn't want to be there, players who are unsettled, uh, players who had previously been fully signed up to a project that would seem to be going places, a season that seemed to be going places, um, all of a sudden thinking, well, hang on a minute, yesterday everything was fine and today he wants to go and so do half the... I'm over-exaggerating with half the players, but some of my teammates want to go as well. What's what's going on here? And I think it's um, impossible to suggest that that isn't an absolute fundamental reason for uh, for Watford's nosediving form. I think Marco Silva absolutely deserves to get his marching orders today from, from Watford. I think he handled the whole Everton thing appallingly. I think it either shows uh, an incredible lack of respect for Watford a massive naivety to think that that's you're going to get away with that after Watford have invested a pre-season, uh, built their entire season, probably two-season plan around him, his targets, and and what they want to achieve. To think you're just going to be able to let be able to walk out of that after nine, ten games is is is, is incredibly crass and and dozy, if you ask me, from some from someone who's looking to make his way in the game. But also from a career point of view, I don't think he's backed himself at all. Because all he had to do was turn up at Watford, get them to 12th, 13th, you know, top half would have been incredible. Deliver something for Watford over a season and the big jobs are going to come. They're going to follow. He would have walked into not only Goodison Park, but you're looking at Arsenal. Arsenal are going to be looking for a new manager, isn't it? And five Live, I think it was Alan Green's here. Well, you know, apparently he's, he's in for Chelsea. And, and like you say, he just didn't prove himself at Watford. And like you say, like he didn't back himself uh, for it. So he has gone. Was it the right time to do it? Because my gut was at one point, it could have happened a while ago. It could have happened way back when uh, when it all started to, you know, started to go wrong. Mid-January, was, was this the right point to go, especially with the transfer window open? Absolutely. I think it's become increasingly apparent that Watford weren't prepared to back Marco Silva in the transfer market. We had a game away at Leicester yesterday, which we've lost pretty easily, you know, and spoke to a couple of Leicester, Leicester supporting friends and they just said it was a routine win. Watford never really threatened. So it became very, very clear that things weren't changing on the pitch. They weren't going to be backed in the transfer market and we're staring down the barrel of a relegation fight. We've now, after yesterday, we've got, what is it, a week and a half until our next Premier League match against Stoke. So if they were going to act, now was absolutely the right time because the new man's coming in, he's signing papers this afternoon and he's going to be there at training tomorrow. So we're up and running again straight away and we're, we've refocused and we're ready to go again. So yes, I think it absolutely was. And I think now the uh, the owners, so so Gino and, and, and Scott Duxbury, of course, will be willing to back the, back the new man. And I think we can expect to see some, some transfer activity, where, whether it will be the targets that perhaps we would have been looking at had everything been going swimmingly under Marco Silva and we're looking to augment, add to an already successful squad. I think, no, there'll probably be different targets. There'll be targets now that are, are needed to have an immediate impact to keep us, in the, keep us in the Premier League. But was it the right time? Absolutely right. I think Marco Silva has made, made his own bed. Personally, I'm, I'm glad to see the back of him. I'm excited about what, the, about what the future holds for Watford now. I think we can look forward to what still is a relegation fight with, with a bit more enthusiasm. 
but what I, what I also want to go on record, go on record, it sounds serious. <laughs> I'm not in court, am I? Um, am I? Um, this could be used evidence in the future, yes. Okay. But I just wanted to go on record and, and say how I think I'm impressed with, with the board again, with, with Scott and Gino. They've been decisive. They've obviously had someone lined up for, for a little while. There's nothing hysterical about it. Things have turned out badly and I think they've been a pretty strange set of circumstances I think Watford have been badly treated by Marco Silva hopefully Marco Silva will have learnt from his his mistakes but we've had a massive curveball basically thrown at us and I think the Pozzos have shown once again that they're prepared to act in a decisive cool calm manner we'll go on to hear about what the what what, what the new guy might might bring to the party but from what we've seen um, before recording it sounds like he's got experience um, and it's almost seamless if you take away all the furore on social media, take away all the nonsense on 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 six oh six or Radio Five or on Sky Spawn on and Sucker Sunday, whatever. If you take away all the chatter, all the white noise, and look about what's actually happened at Watford, we've had a, a coach who doesn't want to be there replaced by someone who does, with time left, albeit only a couple of weeks in the transfer market to to add to the squad. So. Your question was, was this the right time to get rid of Marco Silva? Absolutely it was. And I'm feeling, you know, a little bit nervous, a little bit trepidatious. There's a new there's a new man coming in. We do have to start all over again. I'm sure there'll be some players who, you know, Richarlison posted a, uh, a frowny face emoji, didn't he, when, he, when he'd obviously heard the news. So t- take, take from that what you will. But I assume it's because he liked Marco. And I'm sure there are other players here who did. So we're rolling that dice again in terms of the relationship with the players. But... Yeah, it's the right right decision. We had to draw a line under what what turned into a fairly fairly so, sorry saga. We've got a job on our hands to stay in the Premier League. I think as supporters, we can we can get behind the new man. Got the FA Cup next week at Southampton. We can go and relax. But wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if in the opposition dugout next week at St Mary's, because um, that's another club who's who's struggling and. They're talking about changing their manager. Uh, I suspect Marco Silva's stock is still fairly high if he ended up at St Mary's next week. That would be uh, be incredible, wouldn't it? Uh, but that's a very long answer to a question. <laughs> was it the right time? It absolutely was. So let's look back. Okay, you can only on the eleven managers that we've had in Watford's uh, history since we've been in from the weekend. Where does he stand in those eleven? Is he eleventh? Is he number one? No, he's not number one. Where do you where do you stick Marco? in the uh, the 11 managers since we started from the recruit. I'm not going to rate Billy McKinley and I'm not going to rate Oscar Garcia. So down to nine. So they 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 um, did not start or, um, in in racing parlance. I think that's it anyway. I would have him as as bottom. But if you take those two out of the mix, I'd have him rock bottom. I think he has done a massive disservice to Watford Football Club. I think he's been disrespectful. I think we have a right, despite what everyone might say about how loyalty works both ways. He knew what he knew Watford what he was getting into. If he didn't, he should have done. And what he did was the first hint of a of a in inverted commas speech marks better job came along. He he down tools in effect. We we had a right to deserve better than that to expect better than that. So for me, he's he's rock bottom. Would you put him above Dave Bassett if you look at the entire history of Watford? I don't think he's quite that bad because he <laughs> uh, he didn't he didn't quite dismantle an entire uh, an entire generation of of, of hard work in, in a couple of months. But you know he's. Uh, I'm just really disappointed. I'm, I don't wish him any ill will. I, I, I've, I don't have to because I think I'm almost certain he'll get an, he'll get a job in the top flight, whether it's in the Premier League or whether it's it's somewhere in Europe. He's not going to go without. He'll be absolutely fine. I'm just incredibly disappointed at the way it worked out. I think it could have been avoided. Um, I think he should have got Watford to the end of the season. 
Um, he should have seen that that was the best move for his career, and he didn't. Ultimately, I think he, he treated us poorly with disrespect. Um, and yeah, he's bottom of the pot so far for me. So who's next? We uh, got in touch with uh, our friend of the podcast, David Garrido, who is the Sky Sports News presenter, but also the host uh, for the La Liga coverage uh, on the stations. And Mike had a chat to him about this new fella who is coming in. Of course, we need to make sure we say the name correctly. This is what Mike's chat with David Garrido about the new Watford manager. First things first, it looks as though Watford have got their man to avoid us looking foolish, how do you how do you pronounce his name? <laughs> his name is definitely Javi Gracia. So it's not misspelled. It's not Garcia. He's not linked with Masters champion Sergio Garcia in any way <laughs> or bloodline or brother or anything like that. It is Javi Gracia. That's how you say his name. We've obviously gonna, we've been talking in depth about, about Marco Silva and, and breaking down the reasons for the breakdown in, in our relationship with him. And it struck us that he was making noises quite early in his Watford tenure about not being quite happy with the with the setup, do you think the new guy will be comfortable working in 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 the Watford setup? I think, like any coach, they have their own sort of thoughts and really quite strong opinions about who should make up the, the backroom staff, etc. Um, what their policy on transfers should be, and it's interesting that he's joining now with what is it now? Well, recording this on Sunday, ten days to go until the end of the transfer window and exactly what funds he'll be given to work with if he does want to change things up a little bit and having spoken to a number of Spanish coaches in the last 18 months 24 months they do do an incredible amount of homework before they join a club so they're, they're often asked to repair things different presentations things to do with the value of the squad overall and one Spanish coach told me quite recently that he thinks it's a, a real metric by which a lot of coaches should be judged is how much you can um, augment the value of a squad and, and increase it so that it's 20%, you know, a little bit more valuable than it was before. So all of these factors come into play. And uh, if, you know, for example, Marco Silva wasn't wasn't happy with it, well, it, it might well be that it just wasn't the specific situation that suited him. But I think it's just a very, very personal thing with, with all different coaches about, you know, how they assess the club and their joining and, and what potential there is to grow when they're there. That's encouraging. But what can you tell us about about the man himself and his and his career to date? Well, he is one of those coaches that whenever a Spanish top division uh, club are looking for a manager, his name gets mentioned. And this isn't just your, your small clubs like your Eibar or your Etafe or one of those. It's every time they say a Villarreal or Sevilla or something like that. In fact, he was quite close to getting the Sevilla job. Um, and it was sort of between him and Vincenzo Montella for a while, and then eventually the powers that be at the Sanchez Piswan decided to go for Montella. Villarreal is an interesting case because it's a really quite a small club in terms of it, it where its location is, etc. But he was involved in the academy there and, and, and then managed the B side. And I think that that's an important thing for Watford fans to, to look into because actually being able to bring through talent isn't, isn't a skill that every single coach is in doubt with. So I think his time there, a very, very good academy at Villarreal and at Malaga, where they also have an uh, excellent new system, is, is something that has sort of influenced his career. Um, but Malaga's really where he made his name. Um, he got some awesome results while he was there. I remember them 
I think it was against Barcelona. They they took four points off them, and and they also beat Atletico Madrid. Uh, so you know he seems to have this appetite for the big game, uh, which obviously with the, you know the top six as it is in the Premier League right now. If Watford can get results against those teams, then that can really help them in, in the sort of bottom third of the table where everyone is in the scrap and Watford themselves aren't too far away from being drawn into that. So if they were to, if he can replicate that at Watford, then that, that is obviously a very, very good sign. He speaks English. Um, he's been actually learning a little bit more. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that he's a big personality. He's not someone who will come out and, you know, trot out amazing answers in his press conferences using lots of different turns of phrase. For example, you know, the, the, the Swansea manager, Carlos Carvalhal, seems to use every single opportunity <laughs> to come up with some sort of various different metaphors of, you know, fish, lobster, you know, boaters <laughs> at sea, whatever it might be. But he's not really like that. Um, so I would say, actually, it's his, his diligence, his hard work, his tactical knowledge that is one of the reasons why he's such an attractive choice. I think, I think there's more encouragement there. I don't know if you've seen the the, uh, the Watford running, uh, David, but it is quite difficult. We do have to play some of the, the better teams uh, away from home. Uh, we've got Chelsea at home. So there are some marquee fixtures coming up and he'll get a chance yeah. very, very quickly to um, to test his metal against those guys. And I think it's encouraging also talking about his, his ability with, with bringing the youngsters through and, and developing talent. I think that's something that that Watford, Watford supporters are desperate for, that little bit of longevity and a bit of forward momentum in terms of the club generating their own players and, and developing those. But obviously, the most supporters will be, will be concerned about the immediate impact he can have, David. And I think at the start of the season, when Watford were doing so well, um, the players were obviously responding incredibly well to Marco. They were, they were working very hard. They were confident. They were, the football was fluid. And it was just very, very clear that there was a bond there between player and head coach. What uh, what Javi is going to have to do, like that, we're on first name terms already. Um, <laughs> what he's going to have to do very quickly is form some sort of bond with, with those players. And, and you did touch on his personality um, in, in your very extensive answer there. And how do you think the players, the Watford players, will, will react to him, bearing in mind they've had a, had a tough, tough, tough trot, um, there's been suspensions, there's been a lot of injuries, and perhaps some players have been more fond of, of Marco Silva towards the end than, than others, perhaps. So he's going to have to, to sort of bond a, 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 perhaps a little bit of a fractured squad. How, how do you think he'll manage there? Uh, do you know what? I think that he will succeed in doing that. I think a number of reasons why. Um, when you have a, a slightly fractured squad, as you say, well, everyone has the clean slate when a new manager comes in, don't they? Um, the, the people who've been the favourites maybe don't expect that necessarily to continue, or if they do, maybe they're being a little naive. And the ones who haven't been given a look in, maybe they think this is their chance. And, and remember that you guys have already had a Spanish coach not too long ago, and he didn't do a terrible job. Um, Kiko Sanchez Flores. Yeah, far from make some, make some, yeah, little kind of many many connections with that reign that he he is a man who knows exactly what his style is Kiko Sanchez Flores and it's it's not particularly expansive it's not particularly exciting but everyone buys in and he will put the people in place who who will be able to deliver that um it's it's very much the the philosophy of it overrides the personalities within it and he you know managed to get that those those players to sort of believe in the style of football that he wanted to to to, to really display at Vicarage Road so um 
if you take that as a little example, I wouldn't say that Javier Garcia is identical to him by any means, but he's very sure of his, he's very, you know, they've got very specific tactical ideas that he wants to implement. Um, I think that actually he's used to working with lots of different nationalities. Of course, Watford is a very, very cosmopolitan dressing room. He's travelled a fair bit. Remember, he's been to Greece, he's been to Russia. So I think that all of that kind of experience, you're, you're endowed with all sorts of other skills. Um, you know, if you'd just been a man who'd just come through the, the, the Spanish um, system and, and, and worked his way through Segunda B and Segunda and then eventually into the top flight. But he's someone who does look afield and, and, and further afield and, and tries to kind of um, get learnings from those experiences. Um, so, you know, I, I think that it, it does make a lot of sense, that appointment, from a number of those kind of reasons. And I don't think any sort of squad unity will be either exacerbated, lack of, lack of squad unity exacerbated, or undermined by, by him coming in. I think it's a real opportunity for everyone to buy into something fresh. That's really, really good to hear. And I think most Watford supporters alongside myself will be will be enthused by, by pretty much everything you've said. Um, so I'm going to put you on the put you on the spot here. You knew this was going to happen. Um, we're 10th. Everyone knows that. But we're, we're still we're staring down the battle, barrel of a of a relegation dogfight. Is is he going to be the man to turn around Watford's fortunes? Question one. Uh, and assuming he does that, can he can he take Watford to the next level and break us out of this horrendous seasonal template that we've got ourselves into where we start off like a like an absolute express train and then round about Christmas time it all, it all goes peak tong so can he keep us up and then can he can he move us forward well actually I think the fact that you've got those tougher fixtures towards the end of the season is is useful at this point the worst thing is if you get a new manager in and your luck doesn't change and people start to get restless again and it's a question of how much how much time how much time before this really starts to bed in and make a difference um I think that you know one of the things that, that Watford are and having watched them you know this season um, quite regularly is utterly unpredictable you just <laughs> never entirely know what you're going to get whether it's your 2-0 down at home to Southampton you manage to battle back or you know whether it's you know you you, you you managed to lose 4-1 at home to Huddersfield. It's, it's, it's one of those crazy seasons for you guys, but you have goals in you. Uh, I think that once the injury list clears up and a few new faces, and if he's backed by a bit of funding from, from the Pozzos, etc., then you know maybe he can make the right uh, additions to the squad. Then I think that you're going to be absolutely fine. I, I, I do, and it's one of those things that you sort of hear, you know, it's become a little bit of a cliche, are there three worse sides than you in the division? There are, by far. I'd say probably actually four or five. Um, so I do think he's the right man. I think that he will hopefully hit the ground running. And it's a question of attitude, really. If the players can buy in and really sort of absorb what he's saying to them and implement it um, to the best of their abilities, then then I do think Watford will be fine. They'll be playing Premier League football in 2018-19. You've heard it here first. David Garrido of Sky Sports has confirmed that Watford will be playing Premier League football next year <laughs> and going on to, to great things. Mate, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, a, a real eye-opener. It's been hugely valuable to hear from you. Um, and uh, perhaps we'll get you on later in the season to, uh, to run the eye over how it's going. Yeah, yeah no problem. Thanks, Mike. Top man, thank you so much. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. So Harry seems to be the man. So uh, Mike, next up, we're we're off to St Mary's. Yes, a very exciting, even more exciting than any other way trip we've been on for ages. Very excited. Yeah, we spoke when we before the Bristol City game about the uh, about the magic of the FA Cup, and it's a it's a week off, isn't it, from the from the grind of the the Premier League, which I think Watford need more than than anyone. It'll be interesting to see what um, what team gets put out and whether we do have to rest players. You know, we've obviously been been struggling to get our, anything remotely close to a to a. Our, 
preferred starting eleven out there. But I think whatever will happen, I think you go there. Um, it's a day out. It's a day out supporting Watford. The shackles are off. You don't have to worry about losing three points to your to your um, to your rivals. We can go and give a good account of ourselves. We're going to get the train pretty early. I dare say there might be a, a shandy or two involved in the uh, throughout the day. So yeah, I think I'm really really looking forward to just uh, just relaxing really and getting trying to get back to it to enjoying football again because it's. It's been quite troubling, I think, over the last. The last. Um, it's got incrementally worse as the as the weeks have gone on. We've seen it be- be- before our eyes, and I think I said a, a couple of weeks ago. I'm not surprised anymore. We just. It's just. We're just resigned to to those sort of performances, and that in itself t- tells you how how bad it got. Um, so. I'm excited. I think it's a great time to to have an FA Cup match. I think the the guys will go out there with um with a with a point to prove. Most of them will, will if not well, all of them you'd hope will have a have a real point to prove. They'll want to uh, put a marker down and and say, "Look, I can help this football club not just for the remaining games and but but I've got a I've got a future here and and in, in the Premier League." So, it's a what better sort of dress rehearsal I guess could could you ask for as a as a new head coach and as players trying to, to trying to impress him so really looking forward to it ultimately it doesn't matter I think as supporters we need a bit of um, we could do with some positive um, reaction we could do with a bit of positive on, on field action to, to get behind whatever happens it'll be a good day out supporting our football club which as always we support through through thick and thin it's been an, another incredible day as a, as a Watford supporter we've been fighting the good fight on Twitter and I've, I must say I've been been surprised at some of the, the reactions of some of the, the more heavy hitters on, on Twitter I think Gary Lineker and, and Jake Humphreys to, to name a two had pretty sort of ill thought out and, and, and ill judged tweets I was, I was surprised to see that they didn't really um, really get it um, because I think I'd, I'd expect more from those guys but yeah another another incredible day in the life of, of a Watford fan it'll be great to, uh, to to round it off next Saturday with a, with a decent result and let's go deep in the FA Cup there's no reason why not Thank you much for listening and thank you hope, we really hope that the, this podcast on the day when, when, when Marco left we sort of look back on A, the game yesterday his time here at, at Watford and why it, it's right to come to an end but also look forward and, and, and what David told us about, about Javi is the uh, is, is, is put you in a, a more comfortable uh, headspace as it has us remember you can follow us uh, on uh, Instagram Twitter and Facebook Watford Podcast uh, and, and do tell your friends and, uh, and whack that subscribe button uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts uh, thank you very much Michael hey you're more than welcome <laughs> uh, thank you guys again come on you ones. you